Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Abiding in Him podcast. This is Christina, and I am so glad you are back here today for our journey reading through the Bible this year together. My prayer for us all is that we will be open to what God has to show us in this reading today, and that we will go away from this podcast episode rejoicing in who God is and learning more about Him as our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's get started. The Power of a Woman Those words have become proverbial among us. Occasionally they're said forcefully. Feminists are especially fond of the statement as they underscore the all-important role women play in the workplace. As the familiar bumper sticker brashly announces, the right man for the job is a woman. Sometimes that's true, even though I find myself skeptical of the put-down attitude behind it. There are other times the power of a woman is said quietly, with enormous feelings of dignity and respect. Who has not watched a hurting child crawl up into the gentle arms of a mother or grandmother and seen the pain quickly dissolve? Most have witnessed a very capable woman step into a chaotic setting and bring order and meaning back into the scene. Admittedly, some women simply have the touch. Such pioneer women thrive on challenges. They see past the obstacles. They refuse to be intimidated by the odds. Then there's the power of a woman who finds herself thrust into a threatening situation that has no visible escape route. A mixture of uncertainty and danger lurks in the shadows as she finds herself virtually trapped in a no-win maze of circumstantial misery. Remarkably, she does not despair. On the contrary, she survives. She excels. It's as if she were made for such a time as this. Esther was that kind of woman. Unwittingly victimized by an unbearable situation, she stepped up and determined by God's grace to make a difference. Throwing protocol to the wind and ignoring all her fears, this woman stood in a gap most of her peers would never have risked. In doing so, she not only exposed and foiled the plans of an evil man who, like Adolf Hitler, had a violent agenda, she alone saved her nation from extermination. Now that's what I call power. All the way through my study of Esther, I have been reminded again and again of that 25th verse from Proverbs 31. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. What a beautiful and certainly accurate description of Esther. The more you read, the more you will agree. But I should warn you, her story is contained in a book in the Bible that is like no other as the late Ray Steadman describes it. For many, this little book is a puzzle, for it seems to be out of place in the Bible. There is no mention in it of the name of God. There is no reference to worship or to faith. There is no prediction of the Messiah. There is no mention of heaven or hell. In short, there is nothing religious about it, at least on the surface. It is a gripping tale but one might rather expect to find it in the pages of the Reader's Digest than the Bible. But even though her story is found in a most unusual book of the Bible, it will keep your attention from start to finish. Strange and puzzling as it may seem to the casual observer, 
those who look beneath the surface will find treasures they never expected. And so, we're off on an exciting, unusual journey. The road will take several surprising twists and turns. But don't worry, we have not lost our way. We're simply following the leader, who has a way of keeping us wondering at times where we are going and why it seems so confusing on this journey called life. But the good news is this. He knows what he is about. His way may not be as we expected, but it is the only way to go. And when you mix the power of an awesome God with the power of a godly woman, you've got a winning combination. Chuck Swindoll, a woman of strength and dignity, Esther. Esther chapter 1 in the English Standard Version. The King's Banquets. Now in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces, in those days when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him while he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white cotton curtains and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple, to silver rods and marble pillars, and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king, and drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion, for the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. Queen Vashti's Refusal On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, and Abigtha, Zithar and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown, in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men, who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and in judgment, the men next to him being Karshena, Shethar, Admetha, Tarshish, Merez, Marsena, and Memukan, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom. According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti, because she has not performed the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs? 
Then Mamukan said in the presence of the king and the officials, Not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day the noble women of Persia and Media, who have heard of the queen's behavior, will say the same to all the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. If it pleases the king, let a royal order go out from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be repealed, that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her a royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. This advice pleased the king and the princes, and the king did as Mamukan proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be master in his own household, and speak according to the language of his people. Okay, so what a beginning to our story of the book of Esther. Um, I did want to say that I will be reading some of Chuck Swindoll's thoughts on this, but when I'm reading through this, immediately my... (laughs) I'm not... I wouldn't say I'm much of a feminist, but just the way that Queen Vashti was controlled or attempted to be controlled in this chapter just is shocking to me um and the reaction of the king and the other men just shows I mean I'm assuming this was a cultural thing how they treated their wives as just property for them to do whatever they wanted to with um so Charles Swindoll says I too admire Queen Vashti. In the midst of an unsavory scene, she was brave enough to say no to that which was blatantly wrong, and in resisting this insulting act of indignity, she took a stand against the greatest power in her universe. Good for her. Submission does not mean that a wife is a sexual pawn in the carnal desires of her husband. It was never God's design that a wife submit to her husband's evil desires. In King Ahasuerus's case, This took the form of desiring to display her before those who would have nothing in mind but lust. What he asked was not submission. It was sexual slavery. And I applaud Queen Vashti for her courageous decision. Marriage does not give a husband the right or the license to fulfill his basest fantasies by using his wife as a sexual object. So a word of warning here. Be careful, men, what you ask of the woman God has given you. Be certain that it doesn't assault her dignity as a person or turn a precious human being created in God's image into a sexual object for your own carnal gratification. 
dear God, as we come into this book of Esther, I pray that you would show us what you would have us to learn from this book and that you would work in our hearts and our lives and also that you would show us more of yourself and your character and your will for us as your children. I just ask that you would give our ears to hear, our hearts to understand, and our minds to comprehend the truth you have for us too in this book. In your name I pray. Amen.